0: Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in for another week of the Pause Reviews podcast. One more quick reminder that starting last week and moving forward, we are putting in a music cue right before we start talking about this week's movie. So if you are in a rush and you just want to get a review of the movie this week, you can jump ahead till you hear that music. The descriptions on... All the platforms that we're on also have a timestamp. Feel free, jump ahead, check out the review, and then you can come back and listen to the rest of it later. Otherwise, just settle in and enjoy what's about to be another amazing episode, courtesy of Frank and Tim. And without further ado, this is the Pause Reviews Podcast. Reviews coming back at you for another week. I'm your host, Frank. Joined, as always, my trusty sidekick, Tim. Welcome, Tim.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So uh, here we are again. Week eight? Going into week eight of (sighs) quarantine life? Yeah. Yeah. Everything, uh, you guys holding up all right?
1: Yeah. I had this sad thought today in the grocery store where I think it's uh finally kicked in that um like there is no novelty in anything anymore and like this is just life now like for a while you just had that aura of like a snow day like this is kind of fun and a change of pace and like despite everything going on like disruption you know and as a creative type disruption is is kind of interesting sometimes but eight weeks into this now I'm like oh this is just normal now like this is you know one way in the grocery store everyone's wearing masks like this is life
0: <laughs> oh my god it's so true it's I was thinking about it the other day I think I feel the exact same way and I'm finding that to be sort of the the difficulty with all this right now I mean I'm definitely don't get me wrong I'm loving not having to commute and all that kind of stuff yeah it's gonna suck to go back to but I don't know it's kind of hard to feel upbeat about a lot of things when like all the news is negative and you can't go anywhere. Like the things you would normally do to kind of lift your spirits, they all even even if you can go for a hike, or go for a walk or you got this thing slapped on your face. And I don't know, everything just feels a little bit gross.
1: And I'll be honest with you, we've hit a three or four day period here. We're recording this on uh, the 11th of May. There's been some really notable deaths in the entertainment community, which has sort of just been like another bummer on top of everything else. I mean, we lost Little Richard, the self-proclaimed queen of rock and roll, and Jerry Stiller passed away earlier today. So it's just like... Not much happiness <laughs> anywhere right now, dude. Jerry yes.
0: Stiller was my favorite. I loved him in Seinfeld, obviously, but King of Queens, yeah, like him as Arthur in King of Queens. He first, he reminded me a lot of my grandfather, not in looks or anything, but just <laughs> my grandpa lived in my mom's basement, so he would come up the stairs and just start hollering this or that or the other, and just sort of an outlandish guy. just watching that show made me think of him he passed away not long ago so now that's oh that's awful how old was he
1: jerry stiller was up there he was 92
0: yeah that's that's a good that's a good run that's a win
1: yeah yeah totally and uh i think little richard Richard was like
0: 83 or something
1: uh 87 yeah that makes that makes sense uh, but yeah i mean that was uh, that was a gut punch for me actually really weird thing about that one is i was thinking about this late friday night i was like you know we've lost a lot of musical icons over the years the more recent years with like tom petty and uh, prince and it's, it's been like a really strange bowie it's been like a strange thing with with musicians right and uh, I was like, there's a lot of older musicians that are out there, like, you know, icons like you know, Paul McCartney and Little Richard. And I was specifically think of Little Richard I was like, I hope everybody's taking precautions. You know, Elton John was with the, without a piano for a while, you know, to protect himself from all this. He was sequestered in the one home. He said that they didn't have a piano. Um, mm-hmm. I think he rectified that situation. But it was like. Next morning I wake up and I read the first thing I read in the news is like little Richard died. And I was like, "Huh, ah, 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 it's all my fault. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't have thought about it. <laughs> like, so. Tim,
0: you did this address Uh-oh. all letters to Tim
1: so i was like no uh, but one yeah. cool thing we did find out a video on youtube five minute clip he actually performed at the ford's gala in 1994 so frank and i used to work at ford's and little richard played at our gala back in 1994 so when we were like 10 ish years old he was rocking the stage of ford's theater for oh, bill clinton is which awesome. is fantastic so yeah. if you all want to uh, see a really kind of cool video um Look for Little Richard at the Presidential Gala in 94 on YouTube is really, is kind of cool. Kinda
0: oh, cool. that's a shout, dude. I'm going to check that out for sure. But with that, we do need a dose of good news. And I wasn't going to, I you know, there really wasn't a, a spot to put this in yet, but I had mentioned a couple episodes back, John Krasinski, when we were talking about the late night hosts. Right. John Krasinski has been doing this weekly thing on YouTube called SGN, Some Good News. I'm telling you, man. It's a little bit of a downer. You're, You're gonna tear up a little bit just because there's some really heartfelt stories and stuff in there. But just to see somebody focusing on so much good and positivity and just doing really positive things for people, this one this week, it was a couple who got engaged, loves the office. He proposed the way Jim proposed to Pam at the gas station. So John Krasinski gets all these people together. He he like officiates a wedding over Zoom and he gets the cast of the office to come and do the dance that they did at the Jim and Pam wedding. You know, just all this stuff. So if you're looking for something, just check out John Krasinski and this thing he's doing. It just it's just a little a little ray of sunshine in all this awesome. sort of dreary, rainy Covid weather. So all right, that's our two cents. Let's get into this. Uh, yeah. Listener requests slash questions. So we have another question from a friend of mine, Katie, and her husband, Kevin. So we had mentioned, was it was it last episode? I said uh, that we'll watch anything. Because last uh, last episode was True Romance, which was a listener yeah. recommendation. So I guess they tried to test us. So Kevin was asking, had we ever seen The Stupids? And would we watch and review that? So, my short answer, Tim, have you seen it?
1: No, uh, okay. it's it sounds familiar. I think I maybe have seen clips of it, but I looked at some the cover art and some stills, and yeah. woof.
0: <laughs> dude, it's uh, it's a thing. So, I have seen it, I watched it, I might have been in college, I don't know. I've seen it. It is stupid. I'm not going to rewatch it or review it, not because I'm not staying true to my promise, only just because my review is going to be that it's stupid. But the <laughs> movie is called The Stupids. Like, there's nothing to say. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, there's just right. nowhere to go. I remember a fair amount of it. It's garbage. But if you, you know, in the vein of, I don't know, maybe like Garbage pale Kids slash... What was that Tom Green movie where he worked at the cheese factory? Freddie got fingered.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know,
0: it's like in the vein of these. Just they're just awful and whatever, but they have these cult followings. I don't know if you're curious, check it out. If for nothing else, to hear a man sing about how he's his own grandfather. Um, (laughs) Otherwise, I'm not going to recommend it. I'm probably going to give it a zero out of ten. But at (laughs) the same time, it's not you know standing on airs. It is. It is the stupid's. So, <laughs> Katie's question. So she remembered that apparently in high school we went to high school together, and she said that I guess anytime I would hang out with people or we were watching movies, I would always make people watch this movie called Don Juan de Marco. And to be honest, man, in the years. This movie has faded from my memory until she mentioned it. So her request was, uh, actually, I'm a little bit unclear about what she was actually asking. I'm assuming it was, A, do I still watch it? B, does it hold up? This is a movie, it stars Johnny Depp and uh, Faye Dunaway is in it. Marlon Brando is in it. There's a lot of heads in this movie. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a lot of character actors that you're going to recognize like a lot of the therapists that work in the mental institute like just people that you've seen in other things so this movie this movie really was everything when i was growing up for a couple of reasons i i feel like i found this movie in middle school um you know i grew up in what was Southern Virginia then, I think we've kind of been absorbed into Northern Virginia at this point. We're right at the <laughs> at the floor of Northern Virginia. When I was here in middle school, it was farms, man. It was country yeah. town and country folk. So it was me and a few of the other Spanish kids kind of got together. And like, you know, y- there's things that you're drawn to in movies and one of them is sort of seeing yourself represented Mm -hmm. right so we watched a lot of John Leguizamo man we watched like his his one-man shows freak and sexaholics and things like that but he also had this awful awful movie probably on par with the stupids it was called the (laughs) pest but dude we loved this movie because you know it was he was representing us right especially John Leguizamo being half Puerto Rican now Don Juan played by (laughs) played by Johnny Depp not an accurate representation. But it was sort of the... I don't know, man. It was just sort of the soul of this movie and the fact that it was the Juan and we all kind of... Dude, we used to watch this movie all the time. I throw this movie on to watch it again. So to the question of do I still watch it, the answer is no. I had completely forgotten about it as my life has moved on. Um, does it hold up? I think my answer's gonna be yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Don Juan, you can watch it. It's called Don Juan De Marco, starring Johnny Depp. You can watch it on Vudu right now. It's free with ads. The ads are super annoying, but you can watch it for free. Tim, I I struggle a little bit with this one, but it it's so bad, man. It's so cheesy and so campy and so gross. Like it is borderline gross. Like this uh. is not good Brando. This is bad Brando, yeah, and and it's a very young Johnny Depp. But here's the thing about the movie. So, when I was a kid, what I love? I mean, I thought this was how you talk to women. it's It's like an hour and a half. It's a real short movie, but it's it's Johnny Depp just basically saying the most outlandish stuff to women, uh, and then, you know, seducing them. And there's this love of his life that he's trying to chase after, who has scorned him. And because of that, he can't continue living. He's he's conquered over a thousand women, except the one that he wants the most. And so he's going to kill himself. Uh, Marlon Brando plays a therapist who's called to the scene. But he's admitted yeah. into like this psych ward for 10 days for evaluation to see if he needs to be committed. And the rest of this movie plays out there, where here's what's really good about it and what really holds up is there is a theme and a moral and a story hidden in all the camp and cheese and the camp and everything what you end up finding what i end up finding is that it it just reinforces this perspective this point of view that Johnny Depp's character has in this movie and it's kind of what ends up what it ends up being about is a story of seeing the things of this world right not not women yes. but just seeing seeing the world and and you in it and your life just through a different lens and finding the good in all things and finding the passion in all things and and i think honestly because of that I think it's a movie a lot of people, even now, as bad as it is, will find relatable and endearing and, and just charming. I think it's, and I think Johnny Depp is charming in it and you end up, I don't know, he sucks you in and kind of makes you, I, I found myself really buying into his sort of life view. There's a scene yeah. where he kind of summarizes it when he says, that when he says he made love to a thousand of the world's most beautiful women that people will say, that they wouldn't agree because, right, look at the nose of this one or or this one's to this or this one's to that. His whole point is that, you know, beauty is deeper than that, right? And so that sort of shows you that what you've been watching is his hyperbolic elevated view of everything. And it's sort of, I don't know, I found it relatable, I found it endearing and and certainly entertaining. I'm going to say, yeah, man, it's a, my long-winded way of saying I think this movie holds up and I'll go so far as to, to stand my ground from uh, 1998, 1999 and say, uh, I, I think you should watch it. I
1: think it's a watchable, especially for free. Well, so I will say that um, I, I may have to be a little bit more um, uh, diligent with my, my responses as uh, a, a text a text rolls in yesterday afternoon. Uh, Sunday afternoon, about I don't know one thirty, two o'clock. From Frank says, "You got a little extra time today," and I'm like, <laughs> "I mean, I, unfortunately, given our situation, i really all I have is time right now, especially <laughs> on the weekends." And I'm like, "Uh, yeah," and I'm thinking maybe we're, you know want to record the podcast a little earlier, like. You know, maybe we just want to throw down, you know, some extra stuff. So he's like, he hits me with this. Watch this movie. Same thing, you know, free on voodoo. I was like, ah, okay, why not? I'm working on a, a, a side project. Nice day outside. So I'm like, ah, I'll throw it on as background noise. And it, it, it is the, the first 15 minutes of this movie. Um, uh, i was very uncomfortable for the fact that i was actually watching this movie outside on my deck and there are lines in the opening part of this movie like uh, enjoying the foamy delight of love i had to rewind that because it, the foamy delight of love i don't know what that is i'm pretty sure um, he
0: says frothy sometimes frothy. there's yeah.
1: just like the words man the words there's a whole thing about where kissing certain areas on a woman's hand is akin to kissing and other parts of her body yeah and it's just there is so much in the beginning that just throws you off um dude i'm pretty sure (laughs) i dude this movie (laughs) movie is awful it is so out there um and you know just like you said as much of an inter interesting intersection that true romance was of old and new hollywood to throw a young johnny depp i think when i looked this up I, I, it was 93 or 94 i think is is the year that this came out so you have mm. young johnny young johnny depp and then old marlon brando who's just uh and and fade oh, like, away
0: from dust dude but fade on away yeah
1: oh yeah i she mean it fantastic. was
0: fantastic
1: yes and you know they have some awkward sex moments potentially or it's inferred <laughs> it is it is Wait. it is so strange i'm sorry i
0: will say that is one of my favorite parts because she's kind of you know it's that's my point though right so like he's getting he's treating johnny depp so he's yeah. getting like this passion feel like he's getting revved up with yeah. all this you know like love stuff he goes home to his wife played by faye dunaway he's like, let's go upstairs. And us go this, upstairs. The, you want to go upstairs? Right, but Faye Dunaway's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, let's do this. But she's going through her like normal nighttime routine. So she's, Rush. you know, and Marlon Brando's just sitting there waiting while she's, like, flossing and brushing and doing whatever. Rush. But there's a line <laughs> that I'm t- I love it. She gets in bed, and, you know, they're kind of being playful or whatever. And then she, like, lets her hair down. And Marlon Brando just looks at her and says, Oh, it's gonna be a good one, isn't it? She like laughs and the lights go out and it's all giggly, so it's a little uncomfortable. But at the same time, like I don't, it felt like a very genuine moment, you know. Like he was very funny and charming and playful in that. He reminded me of old like guys and dolls, Brando. Like it was. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that scene like stuck
1: with me. I mean, to your point though, like there is. There is a message underneath this movie. And as I'm listening to you explain your thoughts on that, it almost really comes off to me like almost the whole crux of A Miracle on 34th Street. Like, what really is the danger in this guy believing his world is the way it is? You know, his dad died of a car accident when he was 16 and his mom committed herself to living as a nun and he was just bored with his life and it turns out he didn't even really want to kill himself he was just looking for this adventure right and he's just romanticizing his world and trying to make better of the situation that he finds himself in and it's very much like that whole argument to, to free Nick in Miracle on 34th street. Like if this man is bringing joy to people, what is the harm in believing in Santa Claus? Like it's just, there, there is something to be said about that. And in the end, Brando and Faye Dunaway go out on retirement. This is Brando's last patient at the mental hospital. And he is going to live a happier, more passion filled retirement on, you know, on an Island cruise somewhere. And, (laughs) I just, I think there's a message underneath this movie and it and it's just, it gets lost in that cheese. Watching it for the first time yesterday though, I get how it can be a movie that you grew up with and loved unapologetically. It just has all those qualities of a movie that you found at some point and were like, dude, this is my jam. It just, right. everyone has those movies and it just has the pieces in it you are like, yeah, I totally get that, and I probably would have been all over this movie too. Like the the fantasy, the fantasy pseudo flashbacks uh, of like Johnny Depp's character and these these adventure stories and this swashbuckling and the um, sword duels and all this kind of stuff are very Princess Bride esque, and you have these uh, you know amazing adventures, and it's interspersed into this movie in a way that you're like yeah, if I came across this on TV as a 10, 11 year old, something like that, I probably would have loved this movie too. It's just one of those Saturday afternoon movies that you would have found and thought it was the best thing on earth. And I right. totally can see that in this movie. It just, it has those hallmarks. I, I If I could map out what those hallmarks really are, I think we'd find a lot of commonality in in, in crappy movies that people love. Um it's just, it, it, I can totally see how it is how how that would fit this criteria, for sure.
0: Like I said, finding it and being able to sort of see a representation of yourself. Um, yeah. I think also being in middle school, the height of sort of preparing for what was about to happen <laughs> in high
1: school. And puberty, a.k.a. puberty. <laughs> oh, I was
0: deep in puberty. Dude, Tim, I think I had chest hair. But it was, but more about like finding your yourself and your way and how you were yeah. going to approach the opposite sex or the same sex whatever your jam was and this being a story that was familiar as a kid growing up the scenery is gorgeous at times the flashback yeah. scenes are exciting entertaining I don't know if you're asking if you're asking if it's a good movie it isn't <laughs> it's it it wants it, it I feel like it genuinely wants to be a good movie I think it's yeah. trying to accomplish something. But it's so outlandish and it's so over the top. And just it's so much. It's just so much. It's a caricature of Don Juan. But there is depth there. There's a story yeah. there. And, mm-hmm. and if you can kind of sift through it, I think it's a good message. It's a good moral. It's entertaining and it's fun. I, I'm not going to rate it because I feel like I'm insanely biased. Yeah, that's fair. Because it immediately triggered... The memories of watching this as a kid with my friends, with my with my family, like, and just loving this movie, Um, and so I I don't think I can give an honest opinion here. So if you're asking if it's good, the answer is no. Is it worth a watch for free with ads in the background doing something else? Absolutely, I think it is. Totally, absolutely. If if for nothing else, just to have the experience, it's an experience. Yeah, this is an experience. You know, but again, you know, if you if you want a review or something like that, I don't think I can do that. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you it's good. I don't know. I mean you can feel free to rate it if you wanted to.
1: I, I mean, I I think that's a great assessment. Um I, I don't know that I gave it the attention enough to give it a rating, right. but like I think had I sat down to just pure watch this, I probably would have definitely felt worse about my 90 minutes but <laughs> i was outside working on a, a a craft project that i'm really excited about and it was a beautiful day outside like really it it could have been worse like it was just it's an experience and what more can you ask for right now in the world that we're living in is just a pleasant experience yeah no
0: absolutely <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's shorter than an episode of the paused reviews podcast yes, so it's, actually, it's, it's not true. it's not a heavy lift you know what i mean no, um no. like i said don juan de marco starring johnny depp and it's available for free with ads on voodoo uh so just create a free account if you already have an account all the better you can watch it there thank you guys for the questions keep them coming you know so yeah. you know we're on facebook twitter and instagram at paused reviews uh, you can go to the website. There's a little form and contact us. It'll email us. Uh, you can email us directly if you want to. It's pausedreviews at gmail.com. Sure. Send us questions, recommendations, anything you want. We'll talk about it. That's what this yeah. podcast is for. Um, yep. So, you know, thank you guys for uh, for reaching out with that. Always, always fun to uh, hash up some old stuff.
1: <laughs> I love it. Um, I
0: love it. All right. Well, Tim, what else are you watching, man? What else is What else is occupying your quarantine time?
1: Yeah, um, I finished uh, Haunting a Hill House.
0: Did it hold up through it, the end?
1: Yeah, um, yeah and I, I think I watched. just, I kind of had the last episode on as I was working on something and I really probably should go back and like actually really, really watch it. The one thing that I think that series does brilliantly is it doesn't hit you over the head from the beginning with, the supernatural and the craziness, it really builds to a crescendo. Yeah. And that last two episodes, especially the last episode are just nuts. And the shifts within that final episode are just so crazy. Like What happens is all over the place that you are not sure what you are watching is real at all. And Nothing in the rest of the series really sets you up for that. Uh, it, there's hints of it. You know, the parents really never acknowledge the existence of ghosts. And Stephen, his whole career is writing horror novels about a subject he doesn't even believe in. And so you're never really sure about the paranormal things that happen. But when you get to that last episode, Hobart, boy, are you totally like, yeah, this is nuts. And it's fascinating. I just, I, I loved it. I loved it again. I really hope that the second season is is strong. You know, I loved the first season of American Horror Story. The second season was better on a, a, a more recent rewatch in the last four years. But I fell off after the rest of those when they started trying to connect the threads and everything. It just kind of lost what I thought was unique about that. I hope, you know, this is a very, you know, I hope they stay with anthology and we don't try and push it too much. And it is what it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. It's it's a great show. I definitely recommend it.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's
0: one of the best things Netflix has done. Hands down.
1: On the happier note, Disney Plus finally released their show that they've been teasing for a little while called Prop Culture. This is something that's right up my alley. I love, I've always loved building stuff. I've always been into action figures. And um, we talked about it on the Cowboys and uh, Aliens episode about my Playmobil stuff. Like, I've always been into things like that. I'm working on a project right now based off of the Ghostbusters movies always just been into tinkering and and messing around with with building stuff um so this show is right up my alley i love movies with props star wars ghostbusters you know stuff that's like got cosplay elements to it right um love stuff like that this show is awesome i've watched two episodes so far the first one is on mary poppins the second one was on tron I have to give it to Disney Plus because uh, and Disney because it, much like we've talked about with Jeff Goldblum, I've not, I've not seen Tron. I'm familiar with it. I know Disney's rolling out the roller coaster whenever they're o- able to open again. But it's still fascinating to watch. they they um, the guy who hosts the show is you know uh, a collector of movie uh, props himself, and he's invested in this stuff. And he he goes to the Disney archives and he finds what Disney still has in their archives, whether it's big prop pieces. Or um, costume sketches or, or things like that. Um, and then he visits with artists and actors from the movies themselves and finds out what they maybe have taken from set or what they still have in their possession. Or he brings them stuff from Disney's archives to show them. Um, That's Mary Poppins, awesome. it, it, is, it is super fascinating. And it, it is amazing as a creative person to watch these artists whether they're actors or set painters or, or uh, choreographers r- interact with pieces that they haven't touched in years, you know, it's something that they put a lot of time and effort into during the film process and is now become an iconic piece and, you know, is maybe lost to time or um, the elements or something. But, you know, he talks a lot about in Mary Poppins, how that was a time when props were, you know, not a big deal you know, you props were used and maybe rented from a prop house and back on a shelf. There are iconic pieces from a lot of John Hughes movies that were just taken from a prop house in, in you know California, used and sent back as rental. And, you know, there's just stuff that's recycled throughout movies that it's just a piece of the set. But the Mary Poppins one, what they do have is amazing. Um, he interviews uh, the actress who played the little girl and she still has her woven uh straw hat that she wore oh, with in the, the ruby yeah oh, she still great. has her original hat And he brought her her original dress that she wore that Disney still had in her archives. And she choked, she choked up over it. And the one thing that I've seen a lot of the artists or actors say when they're presented with something and they're all like, Oh, hello, old friend or things like This is stuff that they lived in for months during filming. And then have never seen again. Yeah. I mean, a a lot of the Tron stuff was just hockey helmets with scotch tape on them and they've disintegrated. But disney's tried to preserve them what they have and it's just it's amazing um and it's got a lot of the elements that we've talked about with jeff goldblum you know whether you like the movie or have seen the movie or not it's still an awesome watch um the next episode i'm super stoked about is nightmare before christmas which is one of my all-time favorite movies which is a yeah it's it's a complete prop movie So I'm really excited to see that one. And I think the other one after that is on Pirates of the Caribbean, which is going to have an interesting crossover with the ride itself, apparently. So, uh, yeah, so it's definitely worth watching. um, uh, If nothing more than to just see how much these artists really care about their work. It's, it's so cool, but I definitely big, uh, big thumbs up to that one. Their original content is, is really, really well done so far uh, with what I've seen. So.
0: That's awesome. I mean, Disney Plus has just been impressive. Yeah. Um, But So I ended up watching Open Range. It is currently available on HBO. So if you have HBO, you can check it out. HBO is actually running a a bit of a special right now uh, as they prepare to launch uh, HBO Max. So you can sign up for HBO now now (laughs) and uh and you can get it for 12 bucks instead of 15 bucks a month for a, a full year and then uh and once max launches later this month it'll automatically transition to hbo max and and off you go so uh i signed up for that i started watching open range which i remember when it came out actually i think i think when open range came out i was working at a suncoast movie company motion picture company or whatever it was called right it was just this like hyper expensive store where you could buy dvds and vhs right so i was working at suncoast this movie came out and i i picked it up and watched it and just loved it out the gate so it's it's kevin costner robert duvall michael gambon so you get a little dumbledore in there he plays the baddie which is interesting diego luna is in it that Benning is in it like there's it's it's a pretty solid cast. It's a slow burn movie. it's not like out the gate epic but it just it's this classic western you know and it's kind of two of them in an element that feels natural and, and awesome. The story is there are these you know free range cattle drivers um I guess they're called free grazers. And they kind of park the herd outside this town that has Michael Gambon, plays sort of this baddie ranch owner who doesn't want free grazers eating up the grass that his cattle could be eaten and tries to run them off, you know, ends up killing some of his hands and wounding some of the others and just all this stuff kind of starts to happen and Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall end up standing up to him and sort of taking him and all of his people down and essentially liberating this town. It's totally like every other Western you've seen. It's it's whatever but it's it's really well done. The character development is pretty decent. Um Duvall is excellent in this. Like you just it just feels like I'm watching Robert Duvall be Robert Duvall. Like it's it's just it's a good watch. I would highly recommend this one. So it's open range on HBO. Um so it was nice to kind of dive into that and, and sort of remember that this has been a bit of a nostalgic week for me i was sort of checking out movies that i used to love back when and just haven't seen in a long time
1: yeah i i think this one has escaped me i'm looking at the cast list now and there's definitely some um some character actors in here that um it would be awesome to see uh in a movie michael jeter is in uh, is in this movie and Kim Coates, who was in uh, SOA. He's one of my favorite characters from Sons of Anarchy. So, Dude, Kim Coates
0: um, plays, he plays like this. He comes in for maybe 90 seconds at the end of this movie. He's sort of this lingering character throughout the whole time. He's the gun hand, right, for, for Michael Gambon. And the scene between him and Kevin Costner is fantastic. Like, it's worth Uh, the watch just to just to absorb Kim Coates for that 90 seconds.
1: Yeah, this um, I might have to give this a shot. Um, Oh, I'd be real interested to hear what you think.
0: Are you a Western fan?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. I grew up watching a lot of um, John Wayne movies for sure.
0: If you Um, like John Wayne movies, you'll like this.
1: Yeah, my favorite John Wayne movie growing up was uh, Big Jake was my fa- one of my favorite ones. Was, uh, I had had that on VHS. I watched that one a lot.
0: <laughs> Alyssa's grandfather loves John Wayne movies. I was never a big fan of John Wayne. Like by the time I got introduced to westerns, like Tombstone existed, the more yeah, modern yeah. western. So sure. going backwards was difficult for me. But no, this this is definitely in the vein of your classic, just classic western. You know, lots of story, lots of talking, just a lot of talking yeah, and sprawling yeah. scenery and and that kind of thing. It's certainly not. Now, the last, you know, the third act is exciting. But yeah, it's I, I highly recommend it. Uh, open range on HBO. Definitely check it out. Uh, it's even worth in my book. It's even worth a rental if you got to check it out. Just just do it i think that's it for me and tim yeah brings us to that time yep let's talk about this week's movie we're gonna take a quick break you're gonna hear some music that's gonna tell you to stop if you've been fast forwarding this whole time missing all this gold and when the music stops the fun begins we'll be right back you're listening to pause reviews Back the pause reviews podcast hope you enjoyed that little song little behind the scenes secret we went nowhere we just nowhere. stood here and looked at each other for a couple of seconds to give me an editing beat
1: okay tim why don't you tell the people yep. what we watched this week so this week, we thought we'd uh, maybe scratch a little uh, sports itch. Um, we are some 50-some days into the what would have been the baseball season. We are well into May at this point. Uh, the baseball season should have started on March 31st of this year. Wow. Um, yeah, so we decided to shake it up and uh Pour out a little uh, For Love of the Game.
0: For Love of the Game. Yeah, we thought we'd kind of kill two birds, right? A little bit of a sports tickle, but also some romance, right? We've done a horror. We've done some action. We've done a little comedy. We've done a family. We need a little romance in our lives, Tim. So yeah, before we jump off, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler (laughs) alert. Guys, you know by now. Uh, We're going to talk about this movie (laughs) in depth. I use that term loosely. But uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, go watch it, come back. Otherwise, settle in. It's about to get real. For Love of the Game, this movie, so starring Kevin Costner and Kelly Preston as your two leads. That's your romantic pair there. John C. Riley's in this one. Brian Cox for a second. And uh, J.K. Simmons is always fun to see him uh yep. jenna malone is in this one uh so a pretty decent cast this movie came out in 1999 Ooh, wait before we get into that how can you watch it you can watch it on hbo currently otherwise you can rent it for 3.99 wherever you rent movies and prime video i think actually has it on sale right now a lot of kevin costner movies are on sale in prime video uh for about 5.99 uh feel the dreams but maybe this is baseball movies for the same reason yeah. just trying to yeah, makes that yeah 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 So, yeah, so like we mentioned, this one came out in 1999, directed by Sam Raimi, which I didn't, I don't think I knew that, and it completely caught me off guard.
1: Yeah, I had that audible moment, too, where I literally said out loud, I was like, Sam Raimi? Really? Really? Okay. Um, I mean, if you look at the rest of his major credits, yeah, this is (laughs) is a little out of left field, which is something we'll probably uh, term. We will be using a lot throughout the rest of the spot.
0: I know. I I, I caught myself writing that in the outline too many times. And I was like, Oh, it's just the saying. Yeah. yeah, So Sam Raimi, if you don't know, he directed the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy. He did army of darkness, the evil dead, evil dead Two, the gift drag me to hell. A simple plan. So to get, This movie, which is like a pure romance slash sports movie, it's just, it felt odd. I'm not saying he heard anything. I don't think he did. It's just, it seems like a very random pairing.
1: There's only a little bit of blood in this movie. Only a little bit.
0: (laughs) I was like, no, there, oh, there is, yeah. It's a very forgettable amount. It's written by Dana Stevens, who also wrote *City of Angels* and *Safe Haven*. The screenplay is based on the Michael Shara's Shara, Michael Shara, I don't know, Michael Shara novel. Um, This was a massive failure at the box office. So, mixed. I think the budget was anywhere from fifty to eighty million, and uh, this one worldwide grossed forty-six. So, a massive failure for. Many reasons that
1: they definitely got some of my money, though, in that gross, because I saw this movie in theaters in ninety nine as part of one of those like eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade group date outings. Oh, that's
0: funny. I don't know when I saw this. I would have been in high school. I don't think I saw this in theaters. I think I came across this one later. Okay, so what's the synopsis of this one? At the end of his 18-year career as a major league pitcher, Billy Chappell, played by Kevin Costner, of course, uh, reflects back on his five-year on-and-off-again relationship with Jane Aubrey, played by Kelly Preston, uh, after she tells him that she's accepted a new job and is moving to London, all right before he pitches what could be the last, or what is the last game of the season, and possibly the last game of his career. Oh Tim, da, da, da. the stakes couldn't be higher.
1: <laughs> not, not at all. Not um, at all. All
0: right, so let's jump into this one. Overall opinions, trivia, fun facts. So we were just talking about it. I saw this, I did I saw this movie years ago. Um, I don't think I saw it when it first came out, but maybe shortly thereafter, like once it was out on video. I'm a sucker for Kevin Costner. And definitely a sucker for, you know... I mean, at this point, Field of Dreams had happened. Bull Durham had happened. So when I saw this one coming out, I was like, yeah, gotta see it. Gotta see Kevin Costner. And gotta see Kevin Costner in a baseball movie. And I genuinely remember liking this movie quite a bit. Like, my memory, when we, when we chose this one, you know, this was definitely one of those of like, ooh, I really like that one. I think it would be a good one. I'm curious to see if it holds up. And watching it this week... I think this movie's awful.
1: Yeah. um, So when I saw this movie in theaters, I was definitely in the throes of my burgeoning diehard baseball love. Uh, I am a huge Yankees fan. My lineage family-wise goes back to New York. And this was 99. uh, So this was released a year after... The Yankees won the World Series in 98. They won the first World Series uh, of my knowledgeable lifetime. I think actually the first one of my lifetime in 96. And that's really when I started getting into baseball. Mm. So I'm I'm three years into my fandom at this point. They've won the World Series. Uh, again in 98 and that's like okay i'm I'm in this for life sort of thing they'd go on to win again in 99 and 2000 though that's the dynasty run that everyone will will kind of start talking about and that's when the the, the that's when
0: the rest of the world started hating the yankees yes Yes. exactly
1: exactly so like that's that's that modern era of, of yankee hatred so i was like in the throes of that passion not yet having developed probably my pure love for just the sport of baseball and as we will talk about a little bit at the good part of this movie where i i wasn't looking i don't look past like yankees are bust sort of thing i don't appreciate the the finer points of baseball at this mm-hmm. point in my fandom mm-hmm. um so i think i looked at this and was like off put by the seemingly anti-yankee bias in this movie where they kind of poke fun at new york fans um and the fact that I'm in love with all of the players that are currently on the roster and this movie is made up of completely fake players, which makes sense as an adult. And now that I understand movies, I get it. But as a, you know, 14 year old kid i'm like these aren't yankee players like this feels like crap i I think that really tarnished this for me and then to watch the yankees lose to this guy who's pitching for detroit who was a horrible team in the 90s yeah i couldn't get past that (laughs) i couldn't get past that (laughs) it's you
0: know that brings up a certain dynamic which i think plagues a lot of sports movies where the team in the movie is an actual team and you're depicting a real team in real time you're thinking of another awful Kevin Costner movie is Draft Day which so football's my sport so you're baseball I'm football so I remember when Draft Day came out I was like oh let's see what let's see what old Kev's got in the tank in telling a football story and it was the same thing cuz it follows the Browns and you're sitting there and and there are NFL players in the movie so like yeah. you know Arian Foster's in it and all this and but he's not a Brown and none of the other players on the team they're all actors which I understand you got to do that but why have it be the Browns? Like, that's yeah. just, I don't know. Unless you're telling a historical story and you have an actor playing a historic figure who is no longer with us. Like, I think about, you know, 61, for example. That's a Yankees movie. Um, yep. and, and it's it's great because we're telling a story about something that happened forever ago. Or 42, we're telling the Jackie Robinson story or, or all these other you know, movies where it, it makes sense to have someone, not the character, play the character, but at least they're playing the real person versus yeah. trying to populate a team with actors and tell me that this is 1998. Um, right. And it's, and like, like you're saying, you have a very strong, vivid memory of that team and those players. So it just feels odd it, out the gate. It feels out of place.
1: Well, and <laughs> for the movie to be about a Detroit pitcher, a Detroit Tigers pitcher. And not one scene of this movie takes place in Detroit. No, <laughs> no, you're, dude, you're absolutely right. There's no, like, it's, it, they picked the Yankees, I think, because the mechanism for telling the story is just more interesting if it's New York. Ooh, I love yeah.
0: that you just said mechanism. I wanted, it. Oh, dang it. I wanted to start this episode by saying it's time to clear the mechanism we're about to talk about for love of the game so sorry to interrupt so you're saying that the 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 mechanism is i mean obviously they're filming in new york because really the conflict of this movie and the interesting parts of this movie don't happen in detroit the only thing in detroit is billy chapel in theory because he's just always like apparently the detroit tigers in 1998 played every game on the road um But, you know, so there's there's no story in Detroit. So the story yeah. is in New York where Jane lives yes. and sort of, you know, when he's in town and, and they're kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out what this thing is, right?
1: Knowing the Yankees and knowing the Yankee organization and knowing the Yankee organization of that time run by George Steinbrenner, there is no way it was easy for them to film in Yankee Stadium. Like, mm. it, it, it just... It took a lot for the NHL to strike that deal to get them to play outdoor NHL games at Yankee Stadium. There's a football game now, the Pinstripe Bowl, that takes place in the off season. But Yankee Stadium has always sort of been that, you know, it's the Yankee Stadium is Yankee Stadium. Nothing else happens at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. So they really wanted to film this movie there like it just because that does not. I don't think that happens easy. And from what I understand, George Steinbrenner was not happy about the way that uh, he felt you're filming at Yankee stadium, a movie where the Yankees lose and he was not thrilled about it. And the creative team, Kevin Costner in particular, apparently had to kind of talk him off a ledge and be like, it's, it's, it's a baseball movie. It's not a Yankee movie, but it is, it, it's just <laughs> when I had that realization, I'm like, "Yes, yeah, all about Florida And New York.
0: I don't know. Maybe it's a filming thing. Maybe New York had the best tax breaks. You know, for whatever reason, it's got to be New York, and that's fine. It is interesting to see them agreeing to filming that. I I, I, I can see that. I can see that being an issue. You know, it's like, why are we going to do a a movie here, and you guys are going to wreck us? Like, I don't don't understand. (laughs) Okay, before we get into the specifics, the bad, the good, and all that, one little fun thing I noticed as i'm watching it i see daniel day kim pop up as an extra yeah. as an era doctor with in one of my most hated scenes of this movie but i see daniel <laughs> day kim and then i see uh michael emerson is a gallery doorman when kevin costner comes to surprise kelly preston once again so it was kind of neat seeing these two randos not randos from lost so they were big time characters in Lost but yeah. just randomly in this movie together hilarious uh but that was kind of cool seeing them in this and and you'll see a lot of faces pop up in this movie uh yeah, it's I a mean, big I'm- cast
1: yeah straight off the bat jk simmons for him to pop up i mean <laughs> little corny baseball manager mustache but uh um, and jenna malone i couldn't place her for the longest time i was like she looks so familiar why does she and it yeah. was one of those things Step-mom where it's like
0: sucker punch
1: yeah, yeah and my wife was like oh she's the girl from that 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 and i'm like And then I remember she was in the Hunger Games. uh, She was in the Hunger Um, Games, and that's that's kind of where I remember her from. One of the cool things that I uh, we we kind of touched on this about um, one of the things that I didn't like at the time, um, but interesting fact that they actually did use some minor league players for this movie to Mm. actually fill out some of the Yankee roster, and. Looking at the cast list now, I I read through it a couple of times. I actually recognize one of the names uh, of one of the Yankee players actually did make it to the big leagues with the Yankees, uh, Ricky Leday. He was an outfielder and he absolutely played with the Yankees post this movie at some point. I didn't recognize any of the other names on either the Detroit side or the Yankee side. Um, Not to say that they also might be one or two others that maybe got a cup of coffee with the, with their respective teams or something. But I know Ricky Leday actually played, um, games with the Yankees so I thought that was kind of I didn't recognize him as a player but I recognized his name in that list so it was kind of like oh okay all right does so that help they, your
0: big problem at all in terms of that there weren't real Yankee players but they used <laughs> minor league guys that are kind of in their farm
1: I think it will when we get to the good I actually will think it it will um, will color a little bit uh, of the surprise that I take away from this movie so Ooh. yeah I think it kind of does so Gosh, yeah.
0: Tim yeah. leaves you in suspense better than anybody else. Um, okay, let's let's get into it then, man. The bad. Overall, this whole thing just feels like a bit of a mess from start to finish. Oddly enough, with all these names, with Kevin Costner at the helm, you know, kind of what you would assume is his element. I mean, when you think it's funny, right? When you think Kevin Costner in cinema, I you gotta think that the first thing that pops in your head is baseball you know it's it's just kind of his thing um but just in general there was just no polish it was it was just a bunch of cliches and awful dialogue thrown together and just sort of literally thrown in your face it never really succeeds at being a compelling love story at all i guess it's a little bit closer to being a compelling story of an aging baseball player but uh, I don't know, man. For me, in the end, it kind of hits. It, it kind of misses the mark on that one too. But I think if this is supposed to be billed primarily as a romance, it's awful. Like this is a, yeah. this is an awful, awful romance movie.
1: <laughs> a lot of the things that I kept coming back to, and I and my, my wife did watch this with me. The, everything in the relationship is just a relationship I don't want. Like the relationship no... is horrible. It, there's just no part of it that was good or enjoyable there was a lot of manufactured drama in it which you could easily explain away by his lifestyle and my wife did that a couple times which is unique for her because she's really big at calling out really shitty male behavior in relationships and movies and things like that Uh but in most cases she was siding with him because she's like He's a professional baseball player. His life is different than most people. He can't have, you know, a steady relationship. She lives in a town that he visits four times a year, depending on schedule. And this is pre unbalanced schedule in the nineties. So, you know, things have changed and, um, you know, they, they swing through town on a weekend or, you know, if it's Detroit, it might not even be a week. It might be a midweek series. They might be there for a couple of days. Like, you don't, you don't know. And to have, have a relationship with this guy is not normal it's not gonna be normal at any point um well but that also
0: speaks to sort of the weakness of the baseball side of this and because this movie very much feels like he's in new york a lot (laughs) right i mean they maintain a fairly serious relationship from like the second act on but based on what you're saying it's like this would uh, this would be far more of a hey when I'm in town if you're single we'll just throw it at each other, but right, like right. they very much it feels like he's there constantly.
1: Yeah, uh, and I don't know. I mean, there was just stuff like you know they set these ground rules from the beginning that like when we're not together in New York <laughs> they always like, do you, Tim you, right <laughs> they, they, you do you and I do me and um, you know we'll get together when we can. And, you know, the whole scene where she gets mad when she shows up at spring training and he is just, you know, clearly hooked up with his uh, masseuse Mm -hmm. and she gets all mad and we're like, yep, saw that coming. But literally he invited you down there and you said no. And from the other parts of your your relationship, you literally said, if I'm not there, I don't care what you do. Like, and now and then she tries to say she's not mad at him. But like that whole scene was like, well, of course course he did that he's a single athlete like okay and
0: you just on the phone made it clear to him you're living your life and you've got stuff going on (laughs) and that dude here's the thing this is a movie you can set your watch to this movie man you can set your watch to the beats and and i love a rom-com 100% love it I'm a sucker for him and I love a good romance movie but this movie's terrible and and just in every possible way you have these two people meet the meet cute is fine but then after that it's just cliches there's there's nothing there's nothing special about this relationship so she shows up in spring training unannounced as you do, and yep. and as they certainly do in romance movies, because you have yep. to catch him sleeping with somebody else. And of course, right. the way you catch him is that the other chick comes down asking the most obsolete question <laughs> on earth. Like, she comes down in her underwear, and you know, tight top, hey, Billy, can I use your hair dryer? The why dude has you? no hair. <laughs> first, first of all, second of all, why is that a question, you, I mean, look, I'm not the one to talk. I, I have a, a very well-defined reverse mohawk. And actually, Tim and I are like Legos. You can put our heads together and we match perfectly. So, That's true. But my point is, it's like, maybe I don't know about hairdryer hygiene or or the courtesies of, of hairdryer usage. That's not a question I would think to ask. I'd be like, I can use this person's hairdryer. I don't understand. So anyways, so you get all these tropes that are, not only are they not necessarily believable, as as the, in the case with most of these types of movies, they're just not original. There's nothing special, unique, or anything about this love story. And even the, even the dynamics that you expect to kind of come into play, like the, the baseball player and the, yeah. the everyday mom or whatever, a lot of these things you don't even find out until later on. it's a very annoying part of the movie, which sucks because it's the biggest part,
1: this romance. Yeah. I mean, and then you throw in this other, like what's supposed to be a devastating moment in their relationship. So later in the movie, uh, Billy has an accident. We, it's sort of vaguely established that his winter home is somewhere deep in the woods uh, of, michigan maybe yeah it's unclear <laughs> that's a good question um,
0: why would it be it's probably upstate new york where yeah, the probably. tigers spend <laughs> all their time
1: <laughs> right uh, and he's he's it's sort of loosely established that he has a shop and he likes to mess with wood I, it, and where does that come from tim <laughs>
0: I don't know. We haven't seen a frame he's made for her. There has been zero indication that this man likes to go into a shed and <laughs> chop wood with a buzz saw. But but that's the point. We need a big end of act two conflict, yeah. and yeah. and the way we get that is the pitcher cuts his throwing hand on a buzz saw. But there's been nothing that
1: establishes this, no. this in any way. And, and the kind of the scar that they show leading up to this flashback is like in that fleshy part of your hand between right. your thumb and your pointer finger where it's like. I call it the oh. squish squish. Ooh, yeah, You right. know what that is,
0: Tim? If Don Juan taught me anything, that's fleshy part in
1: between the fingers. <laughs> it's his vagina. <laughs> he cut his vagina on a bandsaw. That's why he let's... was
0: so worried. <laughs> Oh my god, this movie sucks.
1: He just, I mean, I was like, okay, sure, any injury to your hand as a pitcher is probably devastating, but they make it clear they're in Bumble, and I think Frank's gonna go into this a little bit later about his favorite scene in this movie, but... They're, they're finally getting him some, he's got to be medevaced because again, there's an extraordinary amount of blood for this injury. Like, and he almost passes out and she drives him. God knows how long to this podunk hospital. And like, it's not like he chopped off a finger. Maybe there are nerves in there for his thumb. I don't know anatomy. It just, I, I felt like they could have made it a more devastating injury. But then again, there are pitchers who will go on the, the, um, the injured reserve injured list for months because of a blister on their index finger. So, you know, any injury to a hand, I guess is significant, but they're wheeling him out to the, the, the helicopter. And he tells her, he tells Jane, call the team, call the team trainer. He's the most important person for me right now. And she kind of gets this devastated look, but even my wife was like, well, yeah, yeah. No, duh, that's the most important person for him right now. She's done everything. He, She did her part, got him there. He needs to have, A, the best doctors. He's, he's the star of this team. He's going to get the best doctors. They have the best doctors on retainer. Right. He needs the team to know. And if he doesn't, the team could probably file some sort of grievance against him if they thought for any reason that he was trying to hide an injury. So... No, like, yes, that team doctor is the most important person for him right now. And that's supposed to set up this conflict. But we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah. (laughs) That makes sense.
0: I mean, I can see
1: (laughs) as uh,
0: as the uninitiated, although, you know, I understand the importance of an athlete's body, right? Especially professional athletes. But, you know, I I can... I can see this being set up as this moment where, you know, at this point in their relationship, when they meet, he's been a pitcher for 13 years. This is a few years into that, Mm -hmm. even at least three or four years into their relationship. So he's pushing 16 to 17 years as a pro athlete. And she's a single mom, she's got the kid, and I think what she's looking for, some indication that, you know, if it all ends, or if this ends up being what does me in, that's fine, but I want you to come with me, or I need you, or whatever, right? But in that moment, it's your wrong state of mind. Also, too, the fact that he's almost passing out, I guess I can explain that, too. Shock is a weird thing. You know, just a a minor cut can put you into shock. But I I agree with you for it to be a massively jeopardizing injury. Like, I feel like I have that same scar. You know what I'm saying? And I was never in danger of losing the hand or the finger. I'm not a pitcher. But at the same time, like, why not make this conflict even bigger, right? They're up in the mountains. What if he's snowmobiling? That's an activity that would be reasonable to think would be happening, whether he has an affinity for it or not. And there's a big accident or his arm is broken. I don't know if they're looking for something that it would be believable he could rehab within a year or whatever the case might be. But we can up this game a little bit. I just don't buy that he needs to be medevaced out of a hospital for a cut on his finger. Like That is an extreme reaction to this thing. Even if your team's medical staff has to treat this or whatever, this ER doctor can stitch you up. And then yeah. you can, at your leisure, go to the team, and have it fixed up a little more if need be, or what. It's not like we're talking about pins here. Like we're just closing right, right. flesh.
1: So, they didn't reattach a finger. Like. Exactly.
0: It's it's not. Again, this is just. This movie struggles to be anything. Right. Yeah. This, it's a toxic relationship. It's an unbelievable relationship. And by that, I mean, it's literally you, I just don't believe that this would be happening. The conflicts seem they, they play out on screen. And, and I think that's the problem. These conflicts play out on screen like they're supposed to be a big deal. And they're just not. So I'm yeah. not even feeling the weight of those moments. I, I feel very little challenge to this character. Right, yeah. e- even in the course of him deciding what to do with his career, I'm sitting here saying, "You've been playing for almost 20 years, like that's, that's a normal
1: m- shelf life." Like, <laughs>
0: Absolutely, for a pitcher, like especially, dude, the wear and tear alone. Yeah, and so, and and for you to not have really had anything major, whatever. The point is, nothing about this movie screams urgency or or something unique of any kind. There's just no mm-hmm. investment at all. So that kind of segues a bit. Uh, What's the biggest part of this problem? Not only do you have weak conflicts, you just have so many threads, right? So this struck out, this was the first note I wrote when I was watching this. And the question was, what the heck am I supposed to care about here? What is supposed to be the thing that I'm watching? Literally, Tim, in the first 15 minutes of the movie, this is what happens, okay? Okay. You find out Billy Chapel. Here's the other thing, too, I'll say really quick. His 18 year career is storied, my friend. He, yeah. It's not like he, you know, like I think about Moneyball. It's a great movie, right? Where you get Billy Bean who comes in like a rocket, supposed to be the best, and just sort of flames out, peters from team to team, trying to make it, never quite hashing it. If you're talking about uh, Kevin Costner and Bull Durham. That's a minor league movie. Like, he went to the show for a second and then came back. right? So it's like, these are players who have been in the battle. Billy Chappell is Hall of Fame bound. Like, he has been highly successful his entire career as far as we can tell. Well, as far as we're told by literally everyone in this movie, right? So anyways, you find out that Billy Chappell, he's a great player, but okay, he's old. He's been playing for almost two decades. His body's breaking down. He's battling constant pain. But he wants to keep playing uh, okay conflict one uh, but dude no know, n- n- know your place like this is
1: how this works and and i mean we're being told to love this guy right like you think about players on a league-wide level whether it's football or basketball or baseball or hockey that you have a relationship with these guys, like, you know, it, it's usually one sided, but like, you've been there with them. And so when it is their time to go, it's like, you feel that you feel the weight of that decision. And that that kicks you in the gut when they retire. It's like, okay, I mean, you're telling me this guy was big and bad and, and awesome and famous, like, sure, I'll take your word, but I don't care. Like, you know, it's like, He's not Michael Jordan. <laughs>
0: well, but also, where do I see that in the movie, right? Yeah. And I understand right. that there's scenes, right, where fans are trying to approach him in the midst of a heated conversation or a passionate something between him and Kelly Preston, right? So so I understand that it's inconvenient. But where in the movie do I see him as this beloved athlete or player, besides the fact that everyone's like, oh, he's one of the best, he's one of the best? He's kind of an a-hole to everyone he interacts with. He treats yeah. everyone pretty trashy. He's got this sense of prima donna. He's got this sense of entitlement. The way he handles all the conflict and situations is like me, 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 me. He seems very selfish. There's very little lovable about him. I yeah. I don't love Billy Chappell. I'm not... Yeah. I find myself, honestly, at no point in the movie am I rooting for him. I'm just yeah. not. Like, there's, yeah. there's nothing I, I want to see for him because... Yeah. I just don't connect to him in any way and i don't find him endearing at all yeah so okay so billy chapel that's conflict number one number two uh the at the time faceless love interest jane doesn't show up for their dinner right so now we know there's some conflict he's he's Trying to figure out where she is, all that kind of stuff. Then the owner of the Tigers, who's Billy's mentor and sort of a father figure to him, comes in and tells him he sold the team. So now this guy who's been his and there's even there's a scene in the opening credits where it shows like a newspaper of yeah. Billy Chapel being signed, and the quote is from Brian Cox plays the owner. The quote is from Brian Cox saying, "I promised his daddy I'd take care of him like he's my own son," and so. So the the what you're kind of alluding to here is that there's this familiar relationship, and so out the gate he's just kind of hey by the way I sold the team, um so yeah. now he has to deal with that at the so after the sale is made public Billy is going to be traded after 18 years of playing for the Tigers which I have issues with that we'll get to that in a second. Then the owner tells Billy to retire rather than be traded. And Billy's immediately against it. But for some reason, the owner needs to know right now whether he's going to retire or not. And then keeping in mind, guys, this is the last game of the season. And then we find out that Jane's moving to London. So, And all of this is right before he's going to start the final game of the season, which is kind of a lost cause. And and so suddenly we're sitting there and we have to bear the weight of all of this. And none of it is really anything I care too much about and it just feels overwhelming, right? And yeah. there's even, yeah. there's a line John C. Riley comes up to him as they're getting ready to start the game. And it's it's assumed Billy's told him some of the stuff that's going on. And he just goes, man, Billy, today's not your day. And it's like, is that the best I have for this movie? Is that this is just Billy's bad day?
1: Right. I mean, it's, it's all I can think of is like, I, I just uh, a, a running image in my head of like, pile another piece of crap on here it's like somebody's just shoveling more crap on top of crap it's and, true literally within it, seconds yeah and, and it's like okay 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 wow this guy he's really had a bad few moments i mean it is it, it is like country song corny bad day like you know my spot dog on. ran away my truck broke um but to make it worse billy's just kind of ho-hum of about it like through the whole movie tim you're absolutely like, right it's like so you're we're kind of being told we need to care about this but he doesn't really seem to care himself no. like I just, he he has a face the
0: whole time it's like every there, there's one moment in the hotel room where where brian cox is pushing him for an answer about retirement yeah and here's what i don't in what freaking universe does a team owner walk up to an 18-year player, the star player who has been top of his game for 20 years, does yeah. he walk up to him and say, hey, you should retire so they don't trade you, and then follows that up by saying, tell me right now. What? Like, we've watched, we've watched athletes. They take weeks, months to ponder it, mull it, think about it. Like, that's just not believable. Right. This sense of urgency is completely manufactured in every case.
1: How how many times has LeBron James strung us along now and like aired a you know special on ESPN in the middle of August to decide what team he's gonna go play for next? Right.
0: Like. right. No, no, no. But his but his owner came up to him and was like, we're gonna you gotta decide right now. Tell us today. Right. Tell me today, right. write it right. on a basketball, send it up with my nephew, and then I'll tell right. the world. because that's what happens it's you know the the whole thing it's just it's almost like they looked at it they came up they had a sheet of paper or whiteboard and listed every possible hardship that our hero could face and then they looked at it and said "Hmm, none of these can really hold this the frame on their own you know what Screw it. Let's just do all of them. And then yep. it's like, oh, should we space him out? Maybe we'll hit him with a little bit. Oh, no, no, no. If we space him out, he'll just solve these problems in minutes, right? right. Like any normal human, we, we're going to get them all, like, in minute two. Every single one of these problems.
1: Well, what is he going to think about when he's pitching if he doesn't have all these conflicts to resolve in his head? <laughs> <laughs> It's so true.
0: Oh my God, this. Uh. Okay, so so that's that's the other thing, right? It's a lot of little. Problems. Every problem is little and it's just thrown at you in a way, and they're just trying the whole time to sell you like it's a big issue. And nothing really is, even down to his big injury. Nothing is insurmountable at any point in this movie. And because of that, it's just not a compelling story. We talked a little bit at the beginning. It's not a compelling love story. It's not a compelling baseball story. The truth is, it's just not a compelling story because yeah. there's just no sense of of point of no return there's no sense of danger there's no nothing it just feels like a man living his best life and and yeah. sidestepping the tiniest of little problems you know well, I mean
1: and at the end of the
0: day he's still a millionaire I mean, you at have the, to assume. Listen, <laughs> at the end of the day, not only is he a millionaire, he's Hall of Fame bound. He's going down as one of the greatest pitchers in history. And uh, by the way, guys, pitch is a perfect game. So, right. like, he is literally che- gets the girl. Everything is fine for him. Not right. only does he come out of this having solved problems, he actually gains new greatness like it's this is there's just nothing there's nothing right and, and and that's the point like give me something he's he's struggling he's he's truly a danger of not making it in this game or or his only legacy that he leaves behind is the fact that after years and years of struggling to kind of make it he he managed a perfect game and is gonna walk away he's walking away from this with a, he's he pitched the winning game in the World Series, we find out, early in his... So he's he's won the World Series. He's a Hall of Fame career. He's pitched a perfect game. He He's checked every possible box an athlete can check in this sport. And there's just there, no, there, nothing.
1: There's nothing. There are plenty of... If you go back and you look at the the names of the players who have pitched perfect games there have been 23 perfect games in the history of baseball mm. you look back some of them are, are are big names some of the names you'll recognize um and then some are just out of left field <laughs> again yeah, there it is <laughs> uh that just we're,
0: we're gonna have a little counting sa-
1: sound effect right ding, ding. but just like have made people's careers like pitching a perfect game. Right. C- it can, it, 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 it is a ticket into history. It's not a ticket necessarily into the, the hall of fame, but it writes you into a very exclusive club. Um Don Larson pitched a perfect game in the world series for the Yankees. um And he has been on, he uh, just passed away not too long ago. I believe um he's said as much that like, you know, I was, you know, I was an okay pitcher. Pitching that perfect game changed his station in baseball history.
0: Wouldn't that be a more compelling ending here? Yes. It's, it's yes. sort of a guy who's who's always struggled to make it. That would be a better conflict in his relationship, right? He's this, this woman who could be the love of his life. He keeps setting her aside for a floundering career that he's barely making it in. But then yes. all of it at the end of the day is worth it because... He realizes she's really what's most important and he gets to walk away from the game with his name cemented in history. I mean, there's just, that's
1: just my point.
0: If everything ends today, it's fine.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I think the biggest thread that you could maybe that was of interest to me, if you're looking at, you know, that decision about whether he's going to continue to play or not, like that is the only thing, I guess, really in his control at this point. Like that is the only thing that he can by himself decide. And from a pure sports side, I think that was kind of the interesting thing to follow, except for the fact that the story really plays itself out in his flashbacks while he's pitching as in his decisions already made he's you know he's looking at these memories with fondness bittersweetness you know the flashback to his his friend getting traded to the yankees because the you know uh detroit wouldn't sign him even then it didn't really feel like high stakes because the way he was looking back at these memories i'm like he's gonna retire i mean his station. it's just what what is the point for him 18 years to to possibly face being traded and to start a new life. Shelf life, again, we said it before. 40 years for a pitcher is old. <laughs> and right. especially a pitcher who we're led to believe is as successful as he is, who was would have logged a lot of innings. 40 years old, you can get a 40-year-old pitcher for cheap, really, if you wanna find one, but nobody wants a forty year old venture. Right, right.
0: I agree with you though. I think the one thread you're following in this is that. But again, even that, it's you know, you know what he's gonna do. Because yeah. that's what he should do. Um yep. One quick note, the dialogue in this movie is atrocious, guys. It yeah. is unforgivably bad. It makes Don Juan DeMarco look like the greatest written movie of all time.
1: There was a scene, and I wrote this down because I was so <laughs> flabbergasted by this. Yes, yes But they're talking yes. about, um, I think it's, is it on their first dinner date? It is
0: 100%, a... sir.
1: And yep. they're talking, she goes, I wish everyone would just wear signs. And I don't really know. That comes what out of left field, by the way. Ding. <laughs> um, she says, I wish everyone would just wear signs. Poor people can make them out of cardboard and string. <laughs> yep. And rich people can have theirs made by Mexican craftsmen. <laughs> Banged out of tin in gold leaf.
0: <laughs> that's, that's Mexican Craftsman. Oh, but Tim, what are these signs? So so she says, so, okay, they're having dinner, and he's just... he. I think he asks her, where are you from? Like, where's your family from? Tell me about your family. Her response is a little giggle, and I think we should wear signs, and then exactly like you're saying. There's no lead into this. She is so freaking spastic. Okay, Kelly, take me on this journey. What are these signs? Her next thing is, and then they just say you know i'm horny i'm this and i was like what and she had written something on a piece of paper so then he makes a his next comment is can i kiss you and then she turns this notepad around and the notepad says yes so wait a minute Am I supposed to believe that your Mexican craftsman sign where like this guy says I'm horny and this guy says I'm stupid and this guy says I'm lazy, yours just says yes? Like yours is just the answer to anyone's potential question sign? Oh my god, that scene filled me with so much rage. Okay, so let's play the game. Spot the ending. Dude, I wrote it down the second I saw it. Billy walks into the game at Yankee Stadium, and as he's walking by, this young kid passes him, and he goes, oh, Mr. Chapel, you know, my name's Ken Strout, and, you know, my dad played with you, and I was your bat boy, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, your dad was this, your dad was that. Yeah, I got called up for this game. I'm probably not even gonna get to play. So great to see you. Yeah, give your dad my best. He was a great player. And then they separate. And of course, you're like, okay, is this guy gonna hit, like, the homer yeah. on him, or is this whatever? And sure enough, you get to the end of the movie. He's, he is a pitch away from a perfect game, right? One yep. at bat away from a perfect game. And who gets called up? The kid, he's the left-hander. And so they send him up and first two, boom, boom, nails him, but they go foul, right? Yep, yep. And then the third one, is like it comes down to this. And I guess my point is, and what really bothered me, I'm not upset at it. Every movie does this. I thought it was weak. I thought it was poorly done. The fact that we had this this interaction and you just, you just knew it was just plain as day, but he's pitching theoretically and not theoretically the way you've sort of sold it to me. He's pitching against the best hitters and the best team of baseball that has ever existed. Right? Like the announcer has talked about how, Oh, this guy hits this and there's no love loss here. This guy's hit like 80% on Billy chapel and this guy's hit, this much and this much. And
1: And we believe that we're, we're told that this game is meaningless to the Yankees because they're already in the world series. They're, they're already in the playoffs. They're, you know, they they have world series aspirations. Um, So this isn't a bad team that, that he's pitching against either. Right. And
0: so all of this to then, then I'm supposed to, not only did you already tell me it was going to happen, which is fine. But I'm supposed to buy into the fact that when everyone else failed against him, that this kid is just going to come in and ruin everything? Now, he doesn't, and his team bails him out, and it's fine. But, like, it just felt weak. It felt cheap. It, like, everything else in this movie, it just felt lazy.
1: I will say I think they had an interesting way of framing it, which isn't necessarily wrong. And it's happened more or more often than than not, I feel like, that they mention how, oh, this young kid might not have an appreciation for what is happening in this game, you know, the history. He's trying to make a name for himself. And that kind of stuff. Has happened. You know, you you get these guys up, whether it's a no hitter or some kind of other milestone coming. And, you know, this kid is a rookie and he's trying to stick with the team. It's their explanation was actually not bad. I mean, it was, like you said, way too obvious, Um, but their explanation of it in the flow of the game was actually fairly believable. Like I was like, yeah, I've seen this kind of play out. Like this guy doesn't really know what's happening. Now take that with a grain of salt, because if if you're a kid and you're growing up baseball and this guy's been in the league for 20 years and you kind of maybe have a feeling that he's pitching a perfect game, but it's not. I thought they did a a nice way of explaining it where I was like, okay, well, yeah, I I can see that. I've heard this kind of said before, but Jane's use of the word perfect to describe Billy and baseball so many times in their breakup scene early on. There's just no, there was just no way he was not going to pitch a perfect game because he's so perfect. And you and baseball are just perfect. And you on the field is perfect. And it's like, okay, well he's going to pitch a perfect game. It's just, it's going to happen. (laughs)
0: No, it, it's bad. Okay, so there's a few other things we'll just sort of tear through. One, one thing, another conflict that they introduce like mid-second act is the fact that Jane has a daughter, like a yeah. grown-ass daughter. At this yep. point in their relationship, they've been together over a year. Right, Like off and on, but alluding to the fact that they've seen each other quite a bit. And we've already spoken to the fact that every time he sees her is in New York, which is her home turf, right? So how is it, again, again, just poorly thought out, you want me to believe that these two have been together for over a year and he doesn't even on accident find out yet that she has a daughter? And then the way that he finds out is he's playing baseball Where? Where is he? I don't even...
1: He's in Boston. Boston.
0: Okay, he's in Boston. Uh, Jane's daughter has a father who lives in Boston. And I guess she runs away from home, takes the train or the bus or whatever to Boston. So she calls Billy in the locker room and is like, Uh, this is Jane, my daughter ran away to her dad's house, here's the address, because A, I know you're in Boston, and B, I've got the number. And then, so he goes with the team, picks her up at this house, they fly back to New York, where he then delivers her to the mother. Like, what are the odds that A, Billy's playing in the city that the daughter just ran away to, B, he's flying back not to his home state or field or stadium or whatever he's flying back with his team to new york i mean this is the most convenient road schedule of all time
1: like they've been on a break at this point too like they had some they've not been seeing each other for a while because they had some kind of minor falling out and the first time that they really talk is for her to request him rescue her daughter (laughs) right right
0: (laughs) come on no, no, no. It's it's awful. We talked too about the the ER scene, and again the dialogue. It's just so dumb. He's sitting there, like, acting like his arms falling off. Her line is, is this not America? Is baseball not America's pastime? And that gets him medevaced to some top hospital to get his finger stitched up. This yep. this whole movie is just awful. And then you get a really terrible question and answer montage where we somehow try to learn a little bit more about him and them and their relationship it's 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 lazily done it's poorly done it is uninspired and i just didn't care i didn't care about anything that was happening
1: okay and that 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 scene too also highlights a big issue that I have with the flow of this movie Mm. (laughs) to the point that when the third act comes around, my wife even was like, huh, this got really baseball heavy again. Like there's just an unbalanced nature in this. Like you get this huge montage in the middle and the injury and like, you kind of pull away from the actual baseball game and you get more into the love triangle, the love story. And then you're back to baseball for almost all of the conclusion. is just back to this game to, to see this perfect game play right. out. And it, it just felt way unbalanced at points. Like we were just kind of like, it was kind of teetering there. We're like, well, flashbacks were, were short. And, and then we just went into flashback land for so long that I kind of forgot we were at a baseball game.
0: Right. No, that's absolutely true. I couldn't agree more. And it's, yeah, again, it's just an example of this movie trying to be two things and just not doing it not doing either one well and that's a hard thing to do especially with the greatest written movie let alone with this um okay i you know that's a lot of the bad that's a lot of the problems i had what's some of the good number one it's kevin costner man and few people can do it as good as him I, i think his character in particular it's basically a man in thought he's just yeah. thinking and mulling everything like I, I just gave you the laundry list that he's considering and to be honest when it comes to th- when it comes to that if i can pull any sort of conflict out of this and tim you sort of said it already right the maybe the most compelling thread is him and his career decisions yeah and the scenes where he is alone in his own self not not with the weird voiceover stuff on the mound but sitting in the dugout, as we're kind of going in and out of transitions and, and whatever, he looks the part, man, and, and he doesn't yeah. disappoint. So this is not him at his best. But yeah. it is Costner in his element. It's There's at least that, which is maybe the best thing I can say for this movie. It's at least that. Okay, what else? Oh, the, the time jumping. I, I think it's for what it is I think it's fairly well done I think it's a clever yeah. dynamic and I you know and especially at the time when this movie comes out it is certainly not something that we've seen a lot of at the time so and and it holds up I, I think I think the transitions are pretty okay you know there's the sort of the scene or whatever the action is in the in the baseball game today alluding to a memory that brings us back to the relationship. I yeah. think as well as you can expect that to flow, it does so. At the same time, though, it's just a little bit, you know, I don't know. I, it's a bit of a stretch to be good because I do agree. Like, it's it's so unbalanced, but yeah. I feel like the tra- the transitions with that mechanic are decent.
1: And I think the stories that they chose for him to remember are more impactful it's not like he's pitching this game and thinking like oh that time that i won you know this award or struck out this guy he's thinking about more human moments than baseball moments um you know he's thinking about again when his teammate got traded and helping him pack up his house and um you know kind of that that reconciliation with the business side of baseball versus the personal side of baseball um and i think your next point here is is the um flashback that he has to that young player um uh missing a catch uh uh, and and bouncing off his head and going into the stands like he's 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 reflecting on these very human moments and i think that says a lot to what he values from his career more so than the fame and the stardom and the and the baseball accolades, right?
0: What I think is good about that in particular is those, unlike I think the Ken Strout thing, right? The kid who hits against him in the at the end of the third act. These little moments that happen in the middle of the movie do pay off pretty well. One cool thing yeah. is we get the flashbacks of him and and this this character Davis Birch who was his best friend, a player on the Tigers. He hits a contract year, it seems, and goes to the Yankees for big money and has a successful career with the Yankees based on what the exposition tells us. But now we see this interesting dynamic of him on the mound remembering these wonderful times with his friend. In fact, it's Birch's wife in the wife seats who keeps jane from leaving right when all the other oh this week it's a blonde right like this but it's birch's wife so there's this there's this really deep relationship between those two families and and now he's pitching against him in this perfect game and birch is trying to be successful on his end it's this whole thing right both of them seemingly coming up in years um, you know, Birch is an older player. And then you mentioned the Hart thing, right? So this player yeah. whose last name is Hart, he, you know, makes this awful catch, bounces off his head into the stands, and the flashback is Kevin Costner sort of cheering him up and saying, Look, you can be a man about this or you can sit in this and stew or whatever. And then in the end, Hart ends up making this epic catch on the wall to keep his perfect game alive. And there's these moments, right, where he's pointing at him like, you know. I got you. I owe you. I remember this too, and whatever, right? Yep. And and they're clever little moments that pay off nicely in the third act, and and feel a little bit more organic and and natural, which is which is nice. It's it's kind of cool.
1: And funny note about that: that is actually based on a true event where that ball bopping off his head and going into the stands for a home run uh, actually happened to jose canseco in (laughs) real baseball
0: and that's a man who actually did cut off his finger (laughs) um okay so what else what else oh okay one last thing that i thought was was a nice touch in this is that Like you mentioned, this whole movie, it's very much pitted Tigers versus Yankees. Um, The Yankees fans are just kind of howling at Billy Chapel. Oh, they hate them some Billy Chapel. Chapel's always his line throughout the whole... I can always tell when I'm in New York. What's cool in the third act is when the perfect game is happening, you do see this shift where no one really cares about the fact that the Yankees are going to lose. No one really cares about... And you talked about this in terms of what Costner said to Steinbrenner, which is... This isn't a Yankee movie, it's a baseball movie. And it very much feels like that in the end, where, where the fans are so elated and so excited to see history being made. They don't care that it's at the expense of their team. And I will say this, I feel like baseball genuinely has that more than any other sport, where baseball fans honestly are fans of the game before anything else. It's it's like baseball fans are fans of baseball who just happen to like a certain team. And I yeah. feel like that plays out in this movie really well. The movie is for love of the game, right? This yeah, is right. for the love of the game before anything else. And, and so I, I thought that's a nice moment. I thought it was a nice yeah, touch.
1: For sure. I mean, for some 20 years later, um, you know, those issues that I said initially uh, about, you know, being in the throes of my Yankees only passion um, you know, twenty years on and understanding the historical significance of different baseball things, yeah. At the moment, like I probably would have been more like the guy at the bar though, who would have been like, "No." At the end, he's like, "Yeah, oh, he was safe. He was safe." You know, not just yeah, because. Yeah. Well, like, of course you I- would. I- I'll-, I'll fight till the end, but you still accept that you saw history
0: well even and, that guy
1: he's like oh he was saved what about
0: all yeah, right and like good job yeah. chapel
1: yeah you know so when there are storylines in their significance i'm sure everyone watched the cubs win a couple years ago there is transcendence a lot of times that i don't think you see in a lot of other sports so you're absolutely right it was a touch now that i appreciated that i did not appreciate at the time
0: yeah i think okay so that pretty much sums up the breakdown of good yeah. and the bad
1: I will, I will say, though, to just to kind of play off of your point, though, um, I was really actually looking forward to getting into this to critically rip it from a baseball perspective. Outside of the weird, the only weird thing was that having Vin Scully be the announcer, he is the announcer, he is of the Dodgers. Uh, so as a baseball fan, having him be the the radio or the the, the TV broadcaster was a little odd. Uh, I just didn't, that didn't sit well with me. But the rest of it was pretty pretty well done i mean they filmed on location in yankee uh, yankee stadium the radio announcer in the car uh in the one cab scene is definitely john sterling he's uncredited he's the longtime yankees broadcast guy um the pa announcer was bob Shepard, who was the longtime yankees broadcast or uh, public address announcer who actually taught my dad public speaking in college really um, Yeah. And my dad said he was old then. So, and that was in the the (laughs) early seventies. So, um, he's obviously since passed away, but, um, he was iconic. Um, Derek Jeter used his introduction, uh, to come to the plate well after he passed away. Um, just the play of the game itself the perfect perfect games need pre- spectacular plays that is very you know it's it's not an easy thing so plays like the outfield catch or even the that slow roller up up the middle to end the game um that's common 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 stuff um leaving the pitcher alone on the bench that's a per- that's a big superstition in baseball my wife pointed out uh she wanted to know she's like would a would it- pitcher really not know that they were pitching a perfect game absolutely Uh, a lot of times they you know if they're still pitching in the sixth or seventh inning um, maybe they'll start to realize it by the seventh or eighth but fourth or fifth inning like they're not paying attention they're going batter by batter looking over scouting reports they don't necessarily pay attention i've heard sabathia talk about it on his podcast he's like i knew i was around three thousand strikeouts i didn't know exactly where i was like you know real team guys don't necessarily pay attention to individual numbers i did like um, that
0: i thought that was a cool moment he's he looks yeah. up at the board he's like has nobody been on base yeah. and
1: they're yeah like, and that's yeah nope. perfectly normal um totally totally normal um, and then like you said, the fans rallying around history. I mean, at that point in the game, you know, you're, it's a meaningless game to the Yankees. Um, so I was actually pleasantly surprised. I was like, that from a baseball side, this was actually really, really well done and really well researched. And I really didn't have any issues with the actual baseball side of it, which I was sort of disappointed in because I remember feeling complete opposite about that at the time, but it was really well done from from a baseball side of things
0: okay one final thought right so we was we've lately we've been kind of having these like little final questions or whatever and here's my yes. question and i like i said i don't know a lot about baseball but for some reason this really stuck out to me the major conflict and we've already talked about the fact that sort of the one thing that we both sort of latched on to was is he going to retire is this this what's happening with his career what's up with this trade whatever right and the problem I have and I had it right from the start is as soon as the owner says to him you're going to be traded at the end of the year. My initial thought was no he's not. He's been playing for the Tigers for 18 years. Every year of his career, he's a vet and he's been playing with them for 18 consecutive years. I can't remember why this pops into my head, but as I watched that scene I was like I'm pretty sure baseball has a rule that if you're playing, if you're a, if you're a vet, And you've played five consecutive years with one team that you can block any trade to any team. And so I'm thinking that, and I kind of pose that to you. But the problem I have is if the one point of – and you were just talking about how well-researched this is in terms of baseball. If the one conflict that is at all remotely interesting is this. And the one thing that you think people aren't going to notice is the fact that this wouldn't ever even happen. Like this owner would say, I sold the team, they want to trade you. He wouldn't even say that. If if the if the buying party is like, well, we're gonna trade Billy Chapel, his response would be you can't. He meets the ten five rule and he'll just block any trade you try to do. And yep. so it, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, I mean it's hundred percent true. I mean, he he could block that trade outright. I mean, that's the the, the service time rights that he is he is uh, accrued as as a veteran i mean not to mention the fact that again he's a pitcher in his 40s <laughs> like right. what's the value
0: you're getting for him
1: uh, we are made to believe throughout this movie that he is just as good in this moment as he has ever been and there is no way that that is true well we like, do
0: we, they do kind of allude that this season but it does seem like this is the first
1: season yeah. They say
0: like this season he's got more losses was, than wins. He was like
1: eight, eight and eleven or something right. like that. Right, and and he atrocious. even says like,
0: this has been a bad year, but but we're not led that there's any decline. It, we're led right. to believe this is the one right. bad year he's had.
1: He has no value.
0: It's true. <laughs> he has no value. And I'll be real honest. I think this movie doesn't either. It's yeah. It just it's top to bottom. It falls short in every possible way. I, I think that's the perfect segue to the, to the final, to the final yeah. ratings. So Tim, uh, I don't know. Do you recommend it? And what do you rate it?
1: I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 doesn't know what it wants to be. It right. Uh, and, and you and I have kind of talked on and off, uh, about this, um, here and offline, like, Is this a baseball movie that's a romance? Is it a romance movie under a baseball element? Uh, It doesn't. It doesn't know. Um, And again, I don't care enough about their relationship to to really care about whether she leaves or not, whether he ends up with her. I'm fully Um,
0: rooting for him to not be with her.
1: And the only thing that maybe is her daughter really cared for him. It's a great
0: relationship. Yeah.
1: I'm not sure we've gotten enough of that to really cement that because she's you know watching at the end and crying as he's pitching the perfect game but right. even that feels sort of cheap i don't think we've established that enough maybe agree and again it doesn't do enough to make you care about this player and his his career it's not the moment that my wife teases me about where i watched Derek jeter his final at bat at yankee stadium he comes up with a man in scoring position bottom of the ninth and he gets a single to win the game in his last at bat at Yankee stadium. And I was sitting there with a glass of milk and cookies and crying my eyes out like a little baby. And she still makes fun of me uh, for that. I think, I
0: think it was the milk and cookies more than the crying,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it's just, you know, there I was with my binky. (laughs) It it was like, but I've, you know, spent 20 years watching Derek Jeter play baseball. And, you know, I, I don't know Billy Chappell from Adam. So to have those same, so, so those same feelings, it just, it just didn't work. We said it with the Pixar um, with Onward. There are other baseball movies. If you want a baseball movie um, that, that do things better. Um, and there are other romantic movies. If you want a romantic movie. Um, so uh, I, I, younger me wasn't wrong. It was just, he was right for wrong reasons.
0: <laughs> no, I
1: agree. What do you, what do you give it? Uh, I'll go 4 of 10. Ooh, that's surprising. That's generous. That's generous. It is.
0: That is very generous, Tim. You're <laughs> such a kind soul. Well, you're, you're a also, milk and cookies kind of guy, Tim.
1: I also just want to watch some baseball. <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> okay. So,
0: all right, my thoughts. Ah, I had a hard time with this one not 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 rating it. Well, it just it just hurt my soul. Um, as someone who even loves Robin Hood Prince of Thieves i i struggle to ever side against Kevin Costner but this one is bad it's barely watchable look at the end of the day if you want to see Kevin Costner playing an aging baseball player struggling with career decisions also fighting for some kind of a romance and battling you know up and comers and young this and young that then pop in Bull Durham and watch that. It's at least a little funnier and more enjoyable, and frankly more believable. And you get Susan Sarandon, and you get uh, Tim Robbins, and you just get a, a, just a, a really nice cast of characters. Um, yeah. Bull Durham's not a great movie, but it's way better than this. You know, I think clever time jumping and a few nice moments aside, they're just not enough to save this movie. Not no. by a long shot. I would go so far as to say I do not recommend this movie. I think I give it a three out of ten. And again, I felt like I was being generous. I I think yeah. two of those points are just for Kevin and Costner. This one's just not good. You know, yeah. I, I think on a on an honest day, this is a one. This is this is a one out of ten, <laughs> which is bad. I mean, I don't. It's not a one. It's it's three. It's a three out of ten. But <sighs> this movie sucks. <laughs> i'm yeah. so disappointed i wanted I go, so bad to like
1: it i, I like i remember
0: watch, liking it
1: yeah i i need to go watch sandlot or oh sand oh my god Tim. Y- y- you know I, I need to go watch something
0: more better you know what tim i'm here to tell you and i and i'm just so you can set your mind right we're never gonna watch universally beloved movies to talk no, no. about them because no, no it's, it's pointless no the sandlot is perfection i don't care what Absolutely. you say yeah you can tell me all the things that are wrong with it and i'll just punch you in the face There's forever that, movie. that movie's yeah. <laughs> the best Absolutely. um all right tim what else man did we leave anything out
1: no uh, go watch a better baseball movie if you really want baseball i i you know what i would yeah, man. even I would go so far as to watch an old game. I'll go watch an old classic game.
0: Anything yep. else but this. There's there's so many choices. Don't watch this one. I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, as I mentioned, we're everywhere, man. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Pause Reviews. The website, PauseReviews.com. Email us, PauseReviews at Gmail.com. Send us recommendations, requests, questions, whatever you want. Tell us what you think of our reviews. Are we totally off base? We'll talk about all of that. Uh, This podcast is for you, the people. Um, What else? Next week, guys, we are recording Memorial Day's episode, um, Memorial Day Weekend. It's the episode that's going to air right before. We'll be watching the movie 1917. Um you can you can't get it anywhere except by buying it or renting it. So wherever you get your digital movies, rent it and buy it there. Um check it out and then join us for that episode. We'll be talking about 1917. All right guys, as always, I'm your boy Frank. This is Tim. See ya. Bye. <laughs>